Louise Bedford here. Just before we kick off with today's show, I wanted to let you know that for one week only, you can get up to 84% off a selection of my most popular trading education products available through tradinggame.com.au. Make no mistake. Your financial future is in your hands. So check out the audios, videos, and study courses that I have available at tradinggame.com.au. Now's your chance to develop your skills as a trader for up to 84% off, but only for the next week. Let's get on with the show. Hi, I'm Caroline Stephen. Today on Talking Trading, we have a very special interview with another market wizard, Dr. Van Tharp. Van Tharp is the only trading coach featured in Jack Schwager's Market Wizards. He is the author of many acclaimed books, including Trading Beyond the Matrix and the New York Times bestseller, Trade Your Way to Financial Freedom. He is the founder of the Van Tharp Institute and conducts workshops for traders all around the world. Van used his NLP expertise to create successful models of trading and investing. He collected over 5,000 trading profiles by studying and researching individual top traders, including Ed Sakota and Bill Eckhart, amongst other top traders from around the world. Today we speak to him about the biggest problems facing traders – the qualities good traders need, how he coined the term position sizing, and how to operate from beyond the matrix. I hope you sit back and enjoy our second market wizard for the year on Talking Trading, Dr. Van Tharp. Dr. Van Tharp, hello and welcome to Talking Trading. Thank you, Carolyn. It's an honor to have you here. Now, your specialty is position sizing strategies and the psychology of trading. What do you think is the biggest problem facing traders? Well, I don't think it relates too much to either one of those. I think it's the fact that everybody goes through a lot of education and training for almost every job that they have. So if you want to be a doctor, you have to go to get a regular college education and then go on to medical school, do an internship and a residency. But that same doctor can go down to the brokerage company, put down $100,000 and start trading tomorrow. That's the same result I would expect if I went into a hospital and decided to perform brain surgery. It's like they're so much involved. My view of it, if trading were easy, big money would make it so hard for someone to become a trader that it would be almost impossible. They'd have to take all sorts of tests that were irrelevant and all sorts of things to make it almost so only a select few could become trading traders, and that's if trading were easy. But because trading is difficult, they basically uh, allow you to just open up account, and then they can get fees, commissions, all sorts of things out of you until your account disappears. My very first account you know, it all disappeared. It was a $20,000 account, and this was way back in the 70s. And it disappeared in about six months. 
but I realized that I was paying a 2% commission to get in and a 2% commission to get out. In those days, that was a little more expensive than now. So I had to make about 5% on every trade in order just, just to be a little bit above break-even. Fairly depressing. <laughs> yes. People don't realize the, the hidden costs in it, and, and you have to, it's like the house edge in poker. You have to be able to overcome that house edge. Now, you're also an NLP modeler. Can you talk about that and how you use it? Well, I've always been interested in modeling. You know, I got a, an undergraduate degree in psychology, and back in the 60s, that was about behaviorism and how if you stimulate the animal this way, it'll have this response. And I'm going, no, 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 I want to know how his brain works. And so then I majored in biological psychology. That was almost the same thing. And I found NLP was the first thing I'd ever seen that really talked about what was going on inside and how you think. It's through NLP, for example, that I actually le learned how you think. And it's a very logical when you hear it. You have five senses, and you think through each of those five senses. So you talk to yourself, you see things, you feel things inside, you have tastes and smells that you can duplicate inside, and you have the details of all of those, which is how you really make judgments and decisions through the details of those senses. The basic technique for modeling is you've got to find maybe 10 or so people who do something really well, and then you find out what they do in common, because you don't want all idiosyncrasies. So you get a series of tasks that it's required to do the job. And then you need to find the details for each task, which are the mental state. So every task you do has a correct mental state. The mental strategy, which is the sequence of their thinking, and the beliefs. The beliefs sort of trigger everything and tell you what's important. That's modeling. So what specifically have you modeled about trading? So I've modeled the trading process. I have what I call uh, the tasks of trading. I've modeled developing a system that fits you. I've modeled position sizing. And I've modeled, with Robert Kiyosaki's help, my own version of the wealth process. Tell us about that. Yeah, he and I were pretty good friends for a while until he became famous and wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I sort of disappeared from the loop for him. If you were to look for those qualities that good traders need, in your opinion, what would they be? Well, the first one is personal responsibility. And you can take personal responsibility from all sorts of viewpoints. You can go from, and I think the most logical for people is, I think that, that a mistake is when you don't follow your rules. You, you need to have written rules, otherwise everything you do is a mistake. And a mistake is when you break your rules. Then you can really, you know, if you can really begin to understand the impact. So if you're making the same mistakes over and over again, that's a good example of self-sabotage. So there's responsibility at that level. There's responsibility at the level that uh, something happens and people will have different reactions and it's all a function of them. 
it's how they process the information and interpret it and think about it. So each, I call that kind of a respondability. And then you have the kind of thing that Rhonda Byrne's doing with the secret that says everything comes out of how you think about things. And if you have the right thoughts, things will come out. And it can get very uh, esoteric and spiritual at this level, but... It's all responsibility, and if you don't take personal responsibility, you can't change, you can't improve, you can't eliminate your mistakes. And I might talk briefly about mistakes. If so, somebody's trading with me, and I'm monitor, helping monitor them. The first thing I do is make sure their system is logical and works, and they have good position sizing. But then I have them make sure they write down their rules, and then keep track of their mistakes. The average person is probably trading at about 70% efficiency, which means they make about three mistakes and 10 trades. And that can destroy any system. Any other qualities good traders need? Okay, so commitment. You know, there's a lot of work in doing it. As I said, it's as much a profession as anything else. And you have to have the commitment to uh, really get do the work and do what it takes. And, it, I mean, it's something you have to love. So if, if you don't love it, you're probably not going to do it. And if you're just out to, oh, I want to make a lot of money and this is how I'm going to do it, probably it's not going to work for you because money can't be the main motivation that you have for trading. You do it because you love it, because you're committed to it, because it's part of your passion. But also, I think psychology plays such a tremendous... I've now decided that because the ingredients of trading are all of the modeling process are all psychological processes, that psychology has to be 100% I mean, trading has to be 100% psychology. You've got to be willing to work on yourself. And then, you know, good math skills are the ability to think in terms of probabilities, good math skills, logic, loving to play games, those sorts of things. Let's talk about position sizing strategies, Van, and why so little is said about them. I coined the term in my book, Trade Your Way to Financial Freedom. And I even had a company called Position Sizing Strategies. I was stupid enough not to get a trademark on the term, and now everybody (laughs) uses it. And it's considered a generic term, and nobody will believe that I coined the term. But when I first came on the scene, there was some funny term called money management, and nobody knew really what it was. I remember speaking at a workshop there was a group of system developers and they were all talking about what's important in a system and you know I said at the time well none of you have mentioned money management and then one other guy who's a famous system developer you probably know his name if I mentioned it said well I use a money management stop (laughs) money management could mean taking care of your finances money management could mean managing somebody else's money nobody had any idea about it And then, you know, the other thing is investors think that asset allocation is the key to or the most important thing for an investor. As an author, I get to go to Wiley and McGraw-Hill and they offer me all their books. And so I take home every book I can find on asset allocation and I don't really read them. I photo read them, which takes maybe 10 minutes to see if there's anything significant. 
none of them really even know what, what asset allocation is, and none of them really understand that the reason it's important and is so significant is that the original studies really had to do with position sizing. There was a, there was a study, for example, that said that studied 100 portfolio managers over a 10-year period and found there was a 90% correlation between their performance and how much they had in bonds, stocks, and cash. Key factor was how much, which I call position sizing, and they determined that was 90% of the ball game. To me, that's position sizing. We play a game, and when I do a, one of lots of workshops or I give a talk, I play a game, a marble game, where marbles are assigned a particular value, and everybody gets the same trades. Everybody starts out with the same equity. We maybe play 50 trades with everybody going long, getting the same trades. At the end of the game, if there are 50 people in the room, except for the bankruptcies, there'll probably be 50 different ending equities. And it's all a function of their psychology and position sizing. How did you come up with the position sizing model? Well, the first thing was to define what it was. You know, it isn't money management, it's how much. And position sizing, which was a much better word for that than uh, anything else. So that's why I coined the term position sizing. You know, a lot of my original modeling work was with, with some of the great traders who understood that. Ed Sakota was a classic, and, uh, you know, I was kind of involved in the initial turtles program as well. I was actually interviewed to become a turtle. Wow. So I understood what they were involved in. I didn't really want to become a turtle. Those were Richard or Bill Eckhart in particular and Ed Sakota were people who really understood trading. And you know, some people consider Ed one of the best traders ever in the history. But what you gotta look at it is he had an incredible edge. He was a computerized trend follower. When people didn't understand computers, and I went to his house, and every, all his systems were written in assembly language. That's the language of ones and zeros. All his systems were written in assembly language. But Ed really understood position sizing as well. If you can imagine being a computerized trend follower when nobody else was computer, a computerized trend follower and really understanding position sizing before anybody else did, unbelievable advantage. And he held that for a while. If any trader could ask for one quality that would improve their performance, what do you think it should be and why? Well, I mentioned it already, and it's the one of personal responsibility. And I probably mentioned the reason for it as well, the obvious self-sabotage that occurs when people make mistakes. So let's say you're an engineer and you, you're computerized and you don't, think that, you know, your psychology comes into it that much. In fact, I remember one time, uh, one of my good friends said, psychology doesn't come into our trading because we're totally computerized and so we can't possibly make any mistakes. And I said to him, well, you could decide not to take a trade. And these guys were a small uh, commodity trading firm. Those firms, basically one trade a year makes their year. And he'd had, I think it was like, oh, maybe seven or eight years later, they had had a bunch of bad trades in the British pound and they decided not to take a trade. That was the trade that would have made their year and they went out of business after that. So let's talk more about self-sabotage. 
Self-sabotage comes in a number of ways. So I can talk all day about this, but everybody can understand self-sabotage is very obvious. If you have written rules and you don't follow them, that's a mistake. And if you keep track of them, if you're not at least 95% efficient, meaning you make one mistake every 20 trades, then you're really doing self-sabotage. And I challenge almost every listener that you have to keep track of their mistakes. And they should do it in terms of R multiples, which means R is the risk you're taking on your initial trade. You always have to know your risk. When you make a profit or take a loss, ideally your risk should never be more than one R, one times your initial risk. But your losses should always be about one R and hopefully your gains many times that. And then if you start keeping track of the R value of every mistake, so for example, some of the worst mistakes are emotional exits. So you are in a position and you afraid it's going to go against you, you, but you have a profit, you get out and you make a one R profit, but then it would have gone up and you would have made 20 R. So that's a 19 R mistake. You could have another mistake where you get in on a position just because of an emotional thing. Maybe it goes against you and you lose one R, or you know maybe it goes in your favor a little bit and you make one R. So you can a mistake can be po- can make a positive value. Uh, I, I've seen futures traders make have a, a average value of mistake be as much as four R. I've seen long term traders where the average mistake is about 0.3 R. You know, but the mistakes would be add up still might cost them maybe 30% of their profits over the years. So when you think about it that way and do that kind of exercise where you're actually keeping track of your mistakes, then you'll see the absolute power of it. But then you have to realize there's other ways that you can have mistakes. So, for example, people only trade their beliefs. You don't trade the markets. You trade your beliefs of the markets. I might look at a nice trend and say, okay, there's a trend I want to get on. It's really strong, and I feel really good about it, and I'm going to get on the trend. Somebody else might look at it and say, oh, that looks like it's been going up way too much. It it probably isn't going to go up anymore. If I get in, it'll probably go down immediately. They look at lines and say, the line means something. They decide that the bars on their chart, you know, represent a day's worth of price and the line created by those bars means something. You know, we all have these really strange beliefs that we have about the market. And then if you look at beliefs and you understand that you realize that a belief you have might not be useful, well, it's pretty easy to change it, turn it into a useful belief unless it has charge on it. And what I mean by charge is, for example, let's say you have a belief that you're not worthwhile and you really feel, you know, like you're guilty or shameful or maybe nobody treated you well as a kid. So you feel you're not worthwhile and you don't deserve things. If you have a belief like that, obviously it's not useful and it's got charge on it and you're not going to be able to change it until you remove the charge. Removing charge involves a lot of what I call feeling release, where you have to really feel feelings in order to release them. Now, you've written a book called Trading Beyond the Matrix, which Louise Bedford is a big fan of, and which I understand you're giving away for free where people just pay the shipping. Let's talk a little bit about the matrix. What do you mean by the matrix? 
Well, The Matrix is, if you know the book, I mean the movie, The Matrix, The Matrix was something where you were all programmed, people were all programmed to operate a certain way and live very routine, ordinary lives. And it's really brilliant because it's, it's the way things are to do what society wants us to do, to leave a boring, ordinary lives. But if you realize you're in a matrix, then you can do what they did. You can, you can take the red pill and you can start to reprogram yourself. And reprogramming is simply you know, understanding that there is a matrix. Your matrix is shaped by your beliefs, for example. And if you begin to understand the beliefs and the charges that separate you, you know, and how people do something well, and the strategies that are involved in that versus how people do things poorly and the strategies involved in that. You, I mean, you can literally reprogram people just the same way that they did in The Matrix. So the movie is very realistic of what life is. And then there's another part of it, which at the end of the movie, the original movie, Neil learns that he can go beyond the Matrix, you know, and then, and then he's not at the level of the robots who are in there in, in the computer. He can go way beyond them and somebody can shoot at him and he can stop the bullets. That's kind of one of the areas I'm interested in. We're really into the spiritual transformations people can get and going beyond the Matrix. Is there a so, trading Matrix? Sure. I I think I've just described it. You're not conscious of it to the extent that you just think, well, trading is this, and it's obvious, here it is. But no, it's a game that big money knows how to play. That's a game that's very hard. So they make, as I said, they make it very easy for the average person to play. You just open up your account and lose your money. And so then, to, where do people go to find out more about you? What is your website? vantharp.com vantharp.com and then they have a list of all the books you've written and also the books you recommend plus all the courses the that books, you offer workshops super trader program the all the things we do and uh, every march i come to sydney and we do workshops and this march is no different you can find out about those we have a free newsletter if you come to our website you can subscribe to that where i talk about psychology and the markets Dr. Thal, so thank you for all your research, all your work into the human psychology, NLP and human potential and trading. It was an inspiration having you on the show. Thank you for your time. Thank you. And that's all we have for you today, guys. Stay tuned next week to hear our own trading giant, Chris Tate, give a wrap of the markets before the holiday season and what to do with your positions over Christmas. I'm Caroline Stephen, and on behalf of the team, thanks for your company. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to TalkingTrading.com.au with Caroline Stephen. Make sure you are subscribed to this website to receive the very latest market views, commentary, and expert opinion. Tune in next week as we've got a bumper show planned. Bye for now. The views represented on Talking Trading are general in nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regard to your own situation.